Welcome and thank you for joining us here at Life Central. If you want to know more about who we are and what we're all about, check out our website, lifecentral.org.za or like, follow and subscribe to our social media channels. We hope this message speaks into your life and that you will find meaning and purpose through it, guiding you through your daily life. Have you ever been in a space where you needed some helpful advice from a friend or a confidant or, you know, that person you just spilled your guts to? And instead of inspiring you with words of wisdom, they throw out, out an, an old, tired cliche. Uh, and, and instead of inspiring you, in, in, instead of getting you to move on to greatness, this really just sucks the life and the energy out of you rather than inspiring you at all. If you are not sure what a cliche is, a cliche is a stale phrase or idiom that because of overuse has lost its impact. It's just this unimaginative, stale thing that people say because that's what people say in that moment. It's so often people try to inspire you with it, but because you've heard it so much, because people say it at the worst of times, these cliches, instead of inspiring us once again, really just sucks the life out of us. They've lost their power. They've lost their impact. I'll share some of these cliches with you just to really bring the point home. One of them is time heals all wounds. Honestly, when I hear that, it usually happens when, when you've lost something, when a relationship has come to an end or, or somebody is not in your life anymore because of some terrible circumstance, some trauma, and all you can think is, I don't need time to heal things. I want to feel better right now. Please give me some advice. Give me a hug if needed, but don't give me that. The other thing that people often say, and I really struggle with, is if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. As poetic as it sounds, and as much as we'd all love for that to be true, man, when your passion becomes your income, it tends to become a job, a job with responsibilities that you don't like, an administration that, let's be honest, just strikes fear into our hearts. And that brings stress and anxiety. And so when your passion becomes your, your job, it, it, it's work, it's hard work. Now, I know that people don't say these things to, to bring us down. They don't say these things to negatively impact us on purpose. Because if we look at the two cliches, the fact that time heals all wounds, well, it's true that time brings perspective. And, and, and that if we give things time, grief has a chance to work its natural process in our lives. And that brings healing. When we speak about uh, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I have some negative connotations there. And I, all I can think of is, is everybody becoming professional holiday goers. Or, or maybe, maybe we become 
test drivers for Formula One teams. That sounds like the kind of job that I can do for the rest of my life. A test rider for some MotoGP team. Now that sounds like a really cool job. But I'll be honest, those folks have stresses. And even if you're the professional holiday goer, you're going to have some responsibilities. That's going to bring stress. And I don't know if those holidays are going to be quite as rosy as you think. The thing is, for us to enjoy our jobs, we have to love what we do. We learn to love the challenge and to get excited by figuring out new ways to do things better. We love the people we work with or the people we work for or serve. And that brings passion, that brings joy. And maybe then you won't work a day in your life because you're passionate about what you're doing rather than having the passion and forcing that into a job. But these things don't just happen in everyday life. They happen in Christian circles. These cliches creep their way into a Christian life, into church, way too often, more often than what I would like to admit at all. There's many things in church, there's many things in Christian circles that we hear so much that they have lost their impact. They have lost their power to inspire us, to draw us closer to God, closer to the love of God. There are so many phrases that people will just throw at you at the worst of times and you're thinking, I don't know if that applies. <laughs> I don't know if that really speaks into my hurt, my heart right now. When it comes to these stale phrases or idioms that has been overused, there is a specific verse that I have found that I try to avoid. Uh, when, when I prepare for a talk like this or I get ready to teach on something, uh, rather than using that verse, I'll find another verse that says it maybe in a different way, but essentially says the same thing. It is a verse that, is, that I think every Christian has heard. And probably most of them have tried to memorize. And the thing is, because it's heard so much. The thing is, because it's said so much. After the first three or four words, people switch off and they start thinking about other things. This verse is, is kind of like the nose on your face. Although you can see it all the time, your brain has decided that it's not that important. And so you don't see your nose all the time. It's the um, property agent in your, in your, in your uh, suburb. That board, that property agent, that face has probably changed 20 times in the last 20 years. That number has probably changed the, the same amount of times. But you don't notice because you just see the green outline and you like, that's the property agent. Or the red outline and you go, that's the property agent. Never looking at it twice, never wondering about it again. It is sad and it is actually a bit of a tragedy. If we take, especially this verse that I'm referring to, it's less than 30 words and it explains God's heart towards us as his people and his love for us in, perfect, in a perfect way. And if we miss it because we've heard it too much, man, that's a tragedy for all of us. Now, the impact, the impact and the implication of this verse should never elicit an ugh or I've heard this before or yeah I don't know if that works that way for me. Now by this time you probably have a couple of verses 
lined up in your head as to what this is about. And this verse that I'm referring to today is John 3 and verse 16. Now, this little verse sums up who God is. It sums up His plan for us. It sums up the hope that we have in, have in Him. It sums up the impact that that love has in our lives to change us and restore us and to bring us into a place of becoming the people who God has created us to be. But uh, for a lot of us, it is not personally powerful anymore because we've heard it too much, because it has lost its power over time and from overuse. Now, to continue with this one breath summary of all about God, uh, let me give you some context before I read the verse. Uh, Jesus had taught in this town, and one of the religious leaders made sure that it was late at night and that none of his friends knew that he was speaking to Jesus. And he goes to Jesus and he has a chat with Jesus. And he says, essentially says to Jesus that I've seen in your life things that I've never seen before. I have experienced things from what you say and what you do that I've never experienced before. And I want that to become real in my life. I'm a religious leader. I'm supposed to tell people how these things come alive. You've shown me how they come alive. And he says to Jesus, what do I have to do for my life to change forever? And so Jesus' answer is caught up in John 3. And in the middle of it, is this little verse, this little verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, every word here is pretty important. So we'll break it off in little chunks and chat through it as we go along. The first two words is for God. In the context of what we're reading here, for means because. So because God means that the, the subject of what we're about to read is God. The reason for what happened here is God. The advice that Jesus is about to give is because God did something, because God moved, because God got involved. Now, many of us, have got it wrong. Many of us messed up the first two words of this very, very important little verse. And, and over time, over teaching, over maybe hearing it wrong, we got conned into the idea that this verse speaks about us, that it's because I, because Wagner, because I did something, thought something, said something, that God moved and did something. And that's not the truth. And if we do that, if we miss the first two words of this verse, we will forever lose the impact of how important this little verse is. You see, we think that it's because I started reading my Bible. We think it's because I started tackling that long list of things that offends, honestly, both me and God in my life, that God did something. And that's not the truth. No. The subject, the reason here is because God. Well, what did God? Well, because God, next two words, so loved. Because God so loved, that's just the motivation. That is the why behind God did what he did. 
his love for us. You see, God didn't have this sense of duty that, you know, he created this messed up world and he had to do something about it. No, God didn't want to put us on this permanent guilt trip of saying, look at that cross. Look at what you made me do to my son. I want you to remember every day that the sword is hanging over your head. Look at it again and again and again. God is not sitting up in heaven keeping score, going, well, you know, Vanna ate his breakfast. At least he did nothing wrong there. You know, it wasn't soy milk, but yeah, we'll have to get. He, he, did, he did use uh, things that aren't reusable, things that aren't recyclable. And that's starting to look like a sin in a lot of our lives, isn't it? No, God doesn't keep score of the things we do right and the things we do wrong. Not in the way that we think that we should keep score. Not in the way that we hang the sword over our own heads. No, God's motivation is not guilt. It's not duty. It's not responsibility. It's not any of the other things that we've made it out to be. God's motivation is His love. His love, well, towards who? The next two words says, the world. That's the object of his love. That is what his love is pointed at. So God so loved the world. That is what his love is pointed at, at you and me. You see, these first six words are so important for us to, to just understand, right? Because these first six words can touch us and change us and get our heads right around who God is and how much he cares for us. But this, these two words, the world, well, that includes everybody. In fact, the, the Greek word here is cosmos. And we still use the word cosmos today. Uh, it means the universe. For God so loved, well, everybody alive and dead in the universe ever that he moved, he did something. This word is also mainly used in a negative sense, meaning that uh, it, it speaks into or it refers to brokenness, it refers to sin, corruption, hate and rebellion. It refers to all the things that we see in humanity that we really don't like, meaning that God so loved us while we were stuck in brokenness, while we were stuck in corruption, sin, uh, all the negative things that we can think of, rebellion. Well, why did he love, love us? Or, or what did he want to do? What did his love motivate him to do for us, all of us, alive in his cosmos, alive in his universe? That's where the next words come in. It says that he gave his one and only son. God's love is so unlimited that it moved him to do for what a lot of us seems like the unthinkable. See, Jesus is sitting here. Jesus is speaking here in John 3.16. And he's telling Nicodemus that, Nicodemus, God sent me. And, and, and God didn't force me. God didn't say, I need you to go do this. No, I volunteered as Jesus to go and do this. Because the Father's love motivated Jesus to be the sacrifice for all humanity. To pay the price that humanity couldn't pay for themselves and this puts into context and this puts uh, this gives new meaning to how much god loves if his love would motivate jesus 
to be that sacrifice, to go and do what the Father asked him to do. The next question that we might ask is, well, what does that kind of sacrifice accomplish? And we can skip to the end here to get the answer. It says, shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is a little bit theological here, but what Jesus is saying here is that when he died on the cross, he will take care or put to death all sin, all guilt, all shame, all condemnation, which is the price that was to be paid for your and my rebellion against God, your and my going our own way and not following God's way. Jesus paid the price for that. And then three days later, when God raised him from the dead, Jesus confirmed the promise that he had made, that eternity is available to us. This life is no longer the final chapter of your life. It's no longer the final chapter of my life. No, we get to step into real abundant life in Christ. How do we do that? Well, <laughs> Jesus answers it very simply. He says, whoever believes in him, whoever literally means that, whoever, whoever believes in him means that there is no sin, there is no brokenness, there is no thing that you have done or thing that I have done that can keep us away from the love of God. All we need to do is to simply believe. We don't need to memorize the Bible from front to back. We don't need to be in church every single Sunday and never miss a Sunday, especially not Christmas or Easter. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not that we have to have some social status. Some people think that you have to sell everything you own and become a missionary in some remote place. It has nothing to do with anything like, like that. God might challenge us to know our Bibles better, to read His Word, and for that to change us and restore us. God might ask us to connect to a church community because that grows us, and that creates community that we so badly need. And He might ask us a whole lot of things, but those things aren't requirements for us to step into the fullness of life, the abundant life that Jesus has available to you and to me. No, all it requires is that we believe. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will accomplish, that he will keep all his promises. Now, this right here cancels all our excuses. And there are so many of us who, who have this list of excuses why God's love doesn't apply to our specific, unique set of broken principles, broken ideas, broken hearts. It doesn't, doesn't uh, speak into how broken my family is. It doesn't speak into how bad my addiction is. It doesn't speak into how bad the abuse was, how wrecked my family was. And the truth here is that we get caught in pride when we think that way. Because what we're essentially saying is that God's love is not powerful enough to break us free 
from the things that used to hold us. And be honest with you and tell you that God would not have allowed his son to go through what he went through if that sacrifice wouldn't pay the full price for whatever we faced, for whatever we've done, for whatever we have been through. That's how serious God is about you and about me and about his love toward us and about how much he wants us to step into that abundant, full life that goes way past death and into eternity. So all that to say this, there's a lot of things out there in the world that is against us. But know this, Jesus Christ and God his Father is for you. And he wants to see you thrive at life. God is not against you, no matter what, who said, why they said it. And it's so important for us to, to step back into a little simple verse like this that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, there's nothing cliche about that. That little verse can never lose its power, its impact on your life and on my life. It is so important that we keep going back to it. And it ignites a fire in us that we want to follow God, that we want to believe in Jesus, that we want to experience the life that He has for us. It's at this stage that I ask you, what's your next steps? Well. You might be in a place where all this does seem too good, and I'd love to pray for you that God breaks through those barriers with His love. You might be in a place where you've, you've heard John 3.16 way too much. In fact, you memorized it, and you've been down many avenues with it, but it has lost its power on you. And I'd love to pray for you too, that God restores the truth of that verse the impact and the power of that verse back in your life. But before I do, a, do that, I want to read to you what Paul has to say about this very subject, about God's love and how far he's willing to go to show us that he cares for us and how strong his power actually is. He says it's so much better than what I ever could. So in Romans 8, he says this, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father God, I thank you so much for loving us so much. Lord, that your love moved you to create a way for us to experience life and life in abundance. Lord, I pray that those words will speak into every heart and into every life. 
And Lord, that it starts that restoration process, that it starts that process of moving into you, Lord God, that we can start our lives in eternity with you. As Jesus, every time he spoke of eternal life, said that it starts here today. Lord, I thank you that that's available to us. Lord, I thank you that you, you remind us that if we think that we are beyond it, we're just proud. And we think that we're, we're stronger or our problems are stronger than your power. And that is not the truth. Today, Lord, I thank you that you dispel those lies in every single life listening to this. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your Son. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening in to the Life Central podcast today. If you would like to get connected or get involved, follow us on social media or visit our website, lifecentral.org.za. We hope you join us here again next week.